Welcome to Jackman Radio, episode 125. It's Wednesday, August 10th, 2022. I think it, at least I think it is. And I'm psyched to finally get my buddy on the show here. I've done his show a couple times. He's a uh, kind of a renaissance man. He's a jack of all trades. He does a lot of different things. He's talented in many areas. It's Kyle Matovic. He's the guitarist in the band, A Common Crown. He's a bourbon, a whiskey connoisseur. He does barbecuing. Uh, you know, he does liberty. He knows how to do mechanical stuff. He knows how to build. I mean, he's, he's just a talented dude. Kyle, thanks so much for joining me, man. Yeah, of course. Now, I'm very grateful to be here. And I'm thank you. I'm thankful that you were able to do my show. Um, even the one that got taken down off YouTube. Mm. Um, it, was a, it was definitely a good one. And, uh, you know, I'm always glad to come and hang out with you. Yeah, dude, that's right. The Reed and I did your show, I don't know, last year or something. And uh, we, I think we went pretty hard in the paint about uh, Pizzagate and Epstein and, I don't know, probably 9-11, the shit that we never shut up about. Yeah. What, what was the, the – when you got the, the strike, like what was the actual designation? Misinformation or something? They said it was harassment. Oh, oh so harassment. I Yeah, I tried to appeal it, and it, it didn't go anywhere. And okay. perhaps a little bit of it is my fault, although, you know, they shouldn't have taken it down in the first place. But I literally said, like, we didn't harass anybody. Like, there was – it literally just said harassment. And um, I'm sure – just about everybody knows when it comes to YouTube, they're just incredibly arbitrary. And mm. if they like cited a specific claim or sentence or whatever, then I'd be okay with it. But in this case, it was literally just harassment. I don't know. Yeah, they didn't give you know a specific name, and I, I suspect it's probably because I, I'm not going to say his name on this because I don't want this video to get nuked before <laughs> I can lift the audio and put it on all my audio platforms. Um, I went pretty deep in. in I went pretty deep into the guy at the center of Pizzagate mm. and, you know, his associates and who they were, stuff, st the less sensational stuff, mm -hmm. but the stuff where I believed, you know, was worth talking about and actually had some, had some merit and some, uh, you know, some interesting things about that. But, you know, we can go over that some other time. But, um, yeah, you know, I wanted to just catch up with you, man, and bring you on. And uh, I know you've been playing. It looks like you've been playing a lot of shows. Um, and you've been gigging around. It must must be so nice, man, after two years of the, the flu world order when they just shut everything down and cut live music. I know I, I missed out on, you know, this is how – this is really how little problems I actually have. I missed out on going to see the lead singer of the Moody Blues, Justin Hayward. He was playing at – have you heard of the Moody Blues? Maybe they're uh... – oh. Did I lose you, Kyle? Oh. No, I should still be here. Should still okay. be here. <laughs> Sorry, can my you... internet could be a little patchy. Oh, that's fine. Um, can you hear – you're good now? Yeah. Um, yeah, have you heard of the Moody Blues? Uh, familiar, but I couldn't tell you anything off the top of my head. I've mm. heard the name. They're, you know, a band – they were big in the 60s and 70s. They're a prog rock band. Um, I've been a fan since I was a little kid. My dad took me. The first show I ever went to was to see them live. But their lead singer, Justin Hayward, had a really cool, small, intimate acoustic show booked at City Winery in Boston. And Mike and I had tickets. And they didn't have the, the as such constrictive uh, flu world order uh, jab policy. So we bought the tickets. We thought we'd be good. They changed the policies. And um, we ended up not being able to go to the show. So we had really good seats. They're like hundred dollar tickets, and we had to miss out on those. Ooh. But um, how has it been, man? Like, what what kind of crowds are you getting at your shows, and like, how's the response? Um, so these last couple shows were probably the you know best response that we've gotten quite a while. So um, to kind of throw it back to twenty twenty, we opened for a band called Steel Panther, which I'm sure a lot of people are oh, familiar yeah. with. Yeah. yeah. So we opened That's for cool. them in yeah in June of twenty twenty at a drive-in, and for anybody that's been to live music. Um, normally when you picture an outdoor venue, you picture a big old grass field where it's pretty open. There may be some seats or maybe people have lawn chairs and then people just kind of, you know, congregate in different areas and mostly kind of concentrate around the stage. Well, because it was 2020, there were literally hundreds and hundreds of cars in front of us and you were allowed to stand in front of your car without a mask. But if you went outside of that area and you had to put a mask on or unless you were drinking or eating something. So it was, it was pretty bizarre to be out on an 80 degree night and have to wear a mask when you're running around because of the flu world order. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, fast forward, um, to, um, 
it was, I want to say the second weekend of last month, we had uh, opened for Lita Ford, which um, I'm sure most people know she's still smoking hot into her 60s and uh, she could still put out, she could still play. I mean, she's freaking awesome. So we did that show, um, had a buddy of ours from a band called Scale fill in on guitar because the other guitar player was coming back from vacation that week. Um, the response we got from that was absolutely overwhelming and the, the field was pretty packed. So that was pretty cool. But that was also where I got the uh, root beer moonshine that we were kind of shooting mm. the shit about. <laughs> off air um so i had a a little bit of like peach moonshine got a little loosened up before we played and it felt like we played really good and then on this past weekend we played the rock for life event which i always talk about these to everybody and this is the show i really try to get people out to um it's a charity event that um, my drummer and my bass player have been hosting for the last 23 years i think and all the proceeds go to uh children you know who usually have some kind of disease or something like that so it's a really really cool cause they do it um at a bunch of different shows, but uh, they have three different ones at this specific venue called the Island Ball Field, where usually anywhere from like 300 to 1,000 people will show up, and mm. it's just an awesome time. They have vendors, um, usually like some breweries and stuff that come out and hang out, so um, it's always a good time. And if you see me there, then usually I'm about a, a whole bottle of whiskey or moonshine deep, and uh, you know, everyone there to me is family, so you know, we go up there, we play, we have a good time, and uh, we rock and roll. But uh, yeah, I guess if anybody would want a taste of that, you can look on my channel. I put up a, a clip actually from this past weekend and the show felt pretty good and we got a good response to that as well. So um, and we've also been playing some other openers at a venue called Jurgles. We opened for Firehouse and uh, Stephen Piercy, formerly of Rat, and uh, pretty much all yeah. of them have been universally well received. Yeah, well, that's cool, man. So that's <clears throat> that's a pretty good network of, uh, you know, people who still have a decent sized following. Obviously, you know, weren't weren't as big aren't as big as they once were, but got big enough where they got a decent sized loyal following now who can still come do these uh, events and stuff and then have you open for them. That's cool. I'm pretty sure uh, they're called Steel Panther. Yeah. I'm pretty sure um, this billionaire from Mass who I know, his name's Ernie Bach Jr. He's a auto magnet in the car world. His dad, Ernie Bach Sr., I think was the first guy to import Hondas and sell them. And in, in, I think in America... If not America, definitely New England. And um, I'm pretty sure he loves music. He's, you know, he's a billionaire. So he just, you know, throws money around, throws parties. I went to one of his parties. I went to a bikini uh, contest party at his mansion Uh down in in Norwood, Mass. I I met him because he saw me at a Trump event. He was a Trump supporter. And Uh he saw me dressed as Trump. And he he asked for a selfie with me. And I didn't know who he was. And, uh, you know, I did my shtick for him. And he really liked it. And then he kind of you know, parted ways. And I said, Hey man, nice to meet you. And then this person comes up to me. He's like, you know who that was? And I was like, no, he's a nice guy. You know, he just, he wanted a picture and he wanted me to do my Trump impression for him. He's like, dude, that's Ernie Bach Jr. Man. I was like, Oh fuck, really? So I went, <laughs> I went back up to him when I, and I broke character and I said, Hey man, really? I, I didn't realize you were Ernie Bach Jr. It's uh, great to meet you. Um, you know, my dad had been in the car business for years and sold cars. So, um, you know, I know it's like to have an old man in the car business mm-hmm. And uh, we both started following each other on Twitter. And then uh, he put out there that he was doing this. uh, It's called the Ernie Bacchini contest where you just get these hot like college girls. And, you know, it's it's scummy, dude. It's definitely like scummy. And, you know, in the age of like me too and where everything is at now, I I might not go to one of those again. Um, But he uh, he put on there on his Twitter and I like commented on it. He's like, oh, dude, you know, you, you invited me and said you could bring a guest. So I brought my friend uh, who lives down there and uh, we went and it was it was interesting. You know, a big, big indoor pool, all these scantily clad women running around in bikinis. And um, but he so he would do events like that. And he invited still he hired Steel Panther to come uh, play, okay. play like a private private gig like that for a party that he did. And then he at this thing that I was at, he'd hired Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Oh, I love Kenny Wayne Shepherd. He's the awesome. Yeah. So. He, uh, fun fact, he's married to one of Mel Gibson's daughters. Oh. So he's he's uh, he's Mel, Mel Gibson's his father-in-law. Could you imagine those holidays? <laughs> just, just show up there and be like, "Yeah, I'm pro-Palestine. I love the Palestinians. I don't support Israel." Um, oh my god! Yeah, I I remember hearing the uh, Mel Gibson phone call where he told his uh, I I won't say the word, but he said, "I hope you get raped by a pack of the, yeah, like the fact he said a pack." Like like a wolf pack, you know, like it's <laughs> like it's like lichens from Underworld or something, mm-hmm. just like a, like it's uh, Twilight, like a pack. Um, 
he, yeah, he was he was uh, recorded by his ex there, who he had a kid with. He's like, you and your fucking fake tits. You're provocatively dressed in that green thing you wore. That was enough. And, um, you know, sometimes when you're having a night and you need, you need to be lifted up or you need strength or inspiration, you have a few and go listen to the Mel tapes. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so, yeah, he so Kenny Wayne Shepard was there. So I got to meet Kenny Wayne Shepard and say hi to him. And I got a selfie with him. And he was a cool guy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, imagine just having that kind of fuck you money where you can hire like uh, Steel Panther or Kenny Wayne Shepard or – I'm pretty sure he's had a lot of other big acts just come through and he does events with, but that's the kind of shit I do if I had, I mean, we do that kind of shit anyways and we're not billionaires, but you could just scale up when you're, when you're a billionaire and just like think of a musician or a celebrity or just someone cool who you're into and be like, mm-hmm. I could probably get them to come to my house. You know, <laughs> Everybody Kyle has a price. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody. Well, I, I, <laughs> I remember seeing Steel Panther um, after we played, and uh, let's just say there were a lot of women that were very excited to see them too. Um, so I, I have to imagine if you have Steel Panther at a show like that, especially um, with that kind of event where it's a bunch of scantily clad women, then uh, y- you might see some things. You might wake up with a you know kind of funny crick in your neck the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> are, they, are those Steel Panther? Are those guys older or like what? What have they been around a while? I don't know a lot about them. So I think they were around in the nineties as like a cover okay. band. And then they really okay. kind of blew up in the mid two thousands with their first album. I remember how I heard of them was the music choice channel on direct TV. If anybody remembers that, that's how I used to find like all my music. And uh, I heard their song death doll, but metal. I'm like, this is freaking awesome. And I didn't even like, I just heard the guitar riff and I'm like, Oh man, that's, that's so cool. And then I saw the song and just ever since then, I was kind of hooked on them and I don't really listen to them all that much, but like, they're really, really good musicians. Like, uh, stereotypical glam metal kind of yes. aesthetic and look. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's their gig. So they had a lot of like, were these like legit hot women or these were like kind of washed up? Like they, the women actually look like Bon Jovi. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, at a certain age, like some of these women who follow these bands around, Obviously, still Panther isn't from the '80s, but like yeah. the bands that were in the '80s, but they still go and see them. They end up looking like Axel and Bon Jovi. Oh yeah, I mean, if you're looking for divorcees, <laughs> look no further. But uh, <laughs> there, there were yeah, dude, exactly. Yeah. If there were some younger women out there that oh. actually weren't too bad looking, I mean, there was one that said she knew us or something like that, and wanted to take photographs with us. It's it's kind of weird because cool. like we're not like the biggest band in the world, but it's kind of weird to have people not only come up to me and ask for autographs. But then also people say that they know us for some reason or another. Uh, it's well, really it strange. Like you guys have like a decent following regionally though, right? In your neck of the woods. And oh yeah, we can definitely pull a crowd. What you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that happens. You, you could regionally get some notoriety and uh, like build a following and it's yeah. awesome. Even if it's a couple people who just come up and they came to see you and they appreciate what you're doing. I mean, I've, I've certainly had really cool encounters with my Trump routine going around and, and people asking for pictures and being like, I saw you on, I saw you in the paper. I saw you on local television. Um, I, I think the most epic thing, which really like swelled my head to big ego sizes, I got recognized on a plane. I was uh, boarding a plane to go back to New Hampshire and a guy saw me. He's like, dude, I think I've seen you on uh, WMUR News 9. Are you that guy that does Donald Trump? I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, guilty. That would be me. That would be me. Well, I was I was I was floored though because he recognized me because I, I got had a profile on a the biggest news site in New Hampshire and they filmed me in costume and on a costume, so he he'd seen me just regularly what I look like not with the clown suit on, mm-hmm. and uh, that was interesting. But yeah, I mean the, the the women that turn up to these, I mean even the kind of washed up ones from the eighties, they still have an allure. Like if you had a few whiskeys and maybe a few beers, oh. the, the allure there's definitely an allure, Kyle. Well, yeah, you know what they say, no one's ugly after 2 a.m. So, you know, if you just keep cranking them out eventually, it, you know, that 2 a.m. is going to hit and nobody wants to go home alone. God, that's incredible. <laughs> and it's funny you say that. That's that's what Ernie Bach said when he – so he did a lot of national TV uh, appearances and interviews like as a surrogate for Donald Trump or just as a celebrity like endorser of him. And he that's like the line he used. He's like, it's the end of the night and you're looking for someone to go home with. And you're going to go with Trump. So that's like the equivalent of my endorsement. I'll have to send you the clip. It was like something kind of in a roundabout way. That's what he said. So he equated supporting the king to when you've had 15 beers, the night's over, and you're just scouring, and you're, you're looking <laughs> you're looking for whatever kind of bar rat you can bring home with you. you know. And that's that's Donald Trump's the bar rat of American mm-hmm. politics. 
Yeah, you know, and, and uh, I I was kind of going back. Oh, I think Kyle's Kyle's internet is a little bit spotty. People, yeah. Oh, uh, are we good? I think I can I can hear you now. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, yeah. When it comes to politics, it really is like a partisan game to the bottom. And yeah. it seems like people constantly, it's a tit for tat where we have to beat the other side and hammer them into oblivion. Yeah. And no one wants to be objective about everything that's going on, right? Because, um, you know, in the last week, we saw the king get his house raided by the FBI. He's like right? Yeah. So, and now people are calling to abolish the FBI, which, you know, you, me, and our boy here would all agree. Um <laughs> that that should happen but um it's only because it was their guy like they don't realize like this happens to regular people consistently and they're you know they're the enemy really of the american people so we should be talking about this this should already have been a subject it shouldn't just be because they're going after the president now but hopefully now this is in people's faces and they realize what this is so sorry to kind of take a sharp turn over that way but yeah you know it's sad no you're 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 right dude it is in people's faces now and you're going to get it. Like I said, before we went on, yeah, a lot of it, it's because it's my team. It's my guy, my side, mm -hmm. but it's just um, pointing out kind of in a stark way, the, the unchecked power that the Leviathan of the federal government and our intelligence agencies and federal law enforcement has and the reach that they have. And it's like, they can go do this and break into a fucking billionaire, American oligarch gangster, like Donald Trump's house. Well, break in, you know, they had a warrant, they did, you know, they, Trump, Trump and his people had to have known this was coming. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I don't think this was a total surprise to Trump and his people, but I'm just, you know, I'm saying a former president, they, they can go and do this. So what, 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 what does that tell you about the little guy like you or I, mm -hmm. you know, or your Duncan Lemps of the world right. or, you know, the people at fucking Waco or, you know, the people who get lured into these, fake terror plots and used up and puppeteered around you know mm -hmm. so hopefully this can be a you know line into that and, and understanding that and the un, just the unchecked power that they have and then just the more the more and more money that they get every year they just they get they get so many more billions of dollars each year and they're part of like these plots they cook up these plots and they basically get mentally ill dissatisfied you know directionless young men uh, to like concoct a Gretchen Whitmer <laughs> kidnapping plot, right? You know what I mean? It's that it's that meme with all the Spider Men's pointing at each other, and they're all FBI. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, that's really what it is, and it, it's it's really a self looking ice cream cone, as uh, I've heard Scott Horton say a lot. Um, it, it's constantly just a jobs program where we need to keep entrapping people so that way we can make yeah. more money. There, and one of my favorite sayings I've been saying a lot lately is, um, "If there's no boogeyman, then nobody gets paid." But uh, to your point, yeah, think if they're willing to go in on the president like this, and yeah, there may have been some warning beforehand, to people like you or I, um, it, it just were completely inconsequential. So um, to kind of throw a bone to the more left-leaning people who kind of see the police brutality stuff and call it out, um, rightfully so, um, this should perhaps strike a chord with more right-leaning people who aren't always so keen to notice that, that, like, hey, they're really not scared to go after the little guy. So maybe you guys should consider reconsider your support for your undying support for law enforcement and for the three-letter agencies that are here to supposedly keep us safe. Um, they're not quite as sacred as the regime would have us believe. Yeah, and how you hold them and, and just the incessant bootlicking that people do and you know, just blind back the blue. We worship law enforcement. We worship authority. We we don't care about the how tight the fucking noose gets around our metaphorical uh, necks. And it's just the state has. It, it, the, I mean, civil libertarians and people who've been paying attention to this. This is this is like a Tuesday night for us, you know. Or what are we? Wednesday? This is a Wednesday night for you and I, you know. Yeah. But for some people, I think it was really shocking to see the agents descend upon the king's palace. You know, and, and, and go in there. <laughs> they went into my shave, Kyle. I just feel so violated right now. I can't even believe it. I had an original Diet Coke can from 1913. It was the original recipe, and they stole it, okay? And I'm going to sue. They stole my Diet Coke. They stole my Russian dressing. They stole my favorite drink, which is also my favorite people, a white Russian. 
Okay, they stole it all. <laughs> they stole it all, Kyle. But I mean, you know, ultimately people are asking me like, what's going to come of this? You know, or do you think Trump's really in trouble? And my answer is no. No, I don't really think anything serious is going to come of this. Because, you know, the political class and, and all those people is one nation under blackmail. And the FBI has I th probably has everything relating to Epstein, uh, relating to even other people we might not even know about who were able to blackmail people like Trump and like the Clintons and your politicians. So they just kind of they do these reindeer games with each other, I, I, which I just kind of equate to bread and circus and theater mm -hmm. for us plebs. So we could be fired up and cheer for our team and have team baseball and feel like we 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 have some satisfaction and we're, we're being aggrieved against the man and Trump's pushing back against the deep state. It's like, dude, he fucking appointed the FBI director who oversaw this this uh, this right. this action. And then on top of that, his Supreme Court justice had signed off on it, if I remember correctly, on the warrant. So. <clears throat> Um, I always like the tweets that everyone was sending out saying uh, it's peak, peak Republican to assign a justice that signs off on the warrant. And then your own director that you appointed now oversees the rating of your house. So yeah. um, and then somebody had pointed out that the one lawyer that had um, doctored up the warrant was also related to Epstein. And everybody's acting like Trump hadn't been on the Epstein flight log when literally all you have to do is type in trump epstein flight and you'll see that clearly he was involved in this now as to how much i don't know but this kind of goes to the bigger picture of what we've been talking about is just this team sports to me it gets so boring and then people yeah. will throw it at me hey this is just politics but i don't know i feel like if you just want to play politics then you're going to keep getting what you get and eventually somebody's got to stand up and tell the truth about this uh, about the stuff that's going on and kind of try to pull the wool off people's eyes and realize that, hey, you're getting screwed by both people. And yeah, there's nuance. Yes, there's some people who are better than others. But um, if you just want to sit here and blindly follow one party and support, you know, them no matter what, then once again, it's just a, it ends up being a partisan race to the bottom, at least in my eyes. And people argue that maybe it's not. We should just use this momentum. I, I just don't see it getting better if we just don't criticize the ones who closely align with us and who could garner our support but then fail right so a lot of people don't want to knock trump for a lot of his failings just because oh well he's better than the rest okay that's fine but if you say you're going to build a wall and make mexico paid for it you know we knew all um, <laughs> and i'm gonna end all the wars and i'm gonna you know audit the fed and then you literally do none of it and you actually make all those problems worse then people should wake up to that and say, hey, you didn't do the job that we appointed you to do. Therefore, you no longer fit for what we for what we appointed you to. Let's get you out. Let's get somebody else in who's going to do what needs to be done. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's 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 superficial in so many ways because the people pulling the strings and, and the real power is is never really truly confronted in a meaningful way by people who have the mainstream platforms and have millions of followers, you know, occasionally Tucker says something good and everyone goes, oh, you know, but then you peel back a couple of layers of Tucker and look at who his father was. And he's just, a, he's really nothing more than a you know CIA lackey. His father was, uh, I think it was called uh, Air of America or Voice of America. Um, researcher who I like, Robbie Martin, did a lot of digging into that and researched oh, he's that. awesome, yeah. Yeah, Abby's brother, Robbie, uh, from Media Roots Radio. And, uh, yeah, they just they keep getting away with murder and the debt is spiraling out of control. Past we're probably past thirty trillion at this point. Um, you know, kind of possible uh, nuclear showdown with either China or maybe be maybe Russia. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And uh, you know, people just want to keep shouting about uh, wedge issues and, and team baseball. So I don't know. I think uh, I think there's an opportunity for liberty and people who are liberty minded to really make the case here and, and kind of. Uh, you know, offer an alternative to people who might not be aware. So speak to that, Kyle, while I quickly run and take a, take a piss. <laughs> <laughs> You're good, man. Um, yeah, well, when it comes to the libertarian issues and what libertarians actually care about, um, I, I definitely think that there's an opportunity for people to be um, to hear about these issues because it's something that people care about a lot. Um, when you see the rating of Trump's house or when you see people getting shot in the streets, um, people recognize or like 
you could even go back to George Floyd. So you look at the, um, George Floyd, and that was really a potential point where people could have rallied behind um, a cause and something that everybody agreed was wrong. But um, for politically expedient reasons, people had took that and ran with it. And then it became such a wedge issue where people realized, okay, well, despite the fact that the cops abuse their powers, um, they, you know, we still need them because these people are burning down our cities. So when it comes to the Libertarian Party, I am a little bit back and forth. But on the issues that Libertarians care about, um, I definitely think the issues that libertarians care about should be at the forefront of the conversation because we've been talking about you know the alphabet soup agencies the military industrial complex and an overreaching government that controls almost every aspect of your lives for years and i think that we currently have a populace that's very disaffected with not only trump but also clearly biden um a populace that's kind of ripe for the pickings so when you can bring them this liberty message this message that it doesn't have to be this way the message that ron paul had this doesn't have to be this way. Um, then I think people are going to be very, very receptive to it if you have the right messenger or if you could just build relationship capital with people who may be open to liberty-minded ideas. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a great opportunity. And I think, you know, some coalition building can be done. And uh, we're not going to all agree on everything and all the same stuff. And it's easy to get caught up on in the smaller issues, the wedge issues, uh, culture war stuff that mm – -hmm really dominates you know a lot of politics today mm -hmm. you know like yeah so the culture war stuff unfortunately seems to be um so prevalent and i hate that it is because in and Kapistan, it would be so decentralized <laughs> that it doesn't matter right but unfortunately you kind of have to fight in this culture war at least as far as i could tell to kind of roll back tensions or maybe to try insert a little bit more nuance which is what i try to do and i take shit from everybody because i'm not willing to just die on one side of the hill for principles and when it even comes to some stuff that would seem like a little bit of turbulence folks kyle will be back temporarily the flight hit a little bit of turbulence it's going to level out he's going to come back forbidden from uh -oh. Kyle, Kyle's back. We're back with the 16th hour of InfoWars. Kyle, uh -oh. Kyle's back. Kyle, you were talking about the culture war and what we can do about it. Yeah. the um, I think what needs to happen is that people need to kind of find a way to just communicate again and realize that not every person – I get so annoyed when I hear people say they want you dead because it, it's – how do you walk back from that? And yes, there are some people who legitimately want to see their opposition gone, but that's really not the majority of people. So no. when I when I hear people say the left can't be reasoned with or all right wingers are fascists and Nazis, it, it's like, well, why don't you think about what you're saying here? Like you're literally judging an entire political group of people and assuming that they have just these super ill intentions. Well, why don't you just sit down and talk to this person and figure right. out what their goals are at the end right. of the day. And right. I guarantee you, you'll be somewhat aligned and you may have different means, but everybody kind of, I think most normal people mean well, and the people that you see that the, that are the absolute crazies online, that's just, it's meant to piss you off, right? It's meant to get a rise yeah. out of you. It's meant to stoke tensions. It's there for reaction exactly. And to bog you down. And I think a lot of it's a waste of time. I try not to get too involved in a lot of that on Twitter. Sometimes I'll take the bait. Um, but I saw uh, er earlier today you had some tweet about, you know, like feminism and it's tough for guys to find like a decent woman in 2022. And I, I didn't used to be like so like hung up on, not hung up, but like worried about that or think too much about it. But God damn, you see the way that some men and women are now and you're like, there's definitely something to that. You know, there's, there's, and then that bleeds into the culture war. Um, you know, traditional roles of men and women and, and what you want out of a relationship and finding it. You sound like a biologist. What's that? I said, you're starting to sound like a biologist. Oh God. Yeah. I'm the first, <laughs> I'm the furthest thing. The only thing I know about biology is the frogs are becoming gay, Kyle. Okay. Yeah. You're going to the water. Turn the frog uh, gay. <laughs> yeah. But this, this sort of um, culture war where, you know, a strong traditional male who views himself as a provider as a leader, as the cornerstone and foundation of his family, and then a traditional wife who likes being a woman, you know, 
clearly enjoys being a mother, being a nurturer, a giver, is is kind, is soft, is generous, is loyal to her husband. I mean, all that shit, that, that's not radical, you know? I mean, I, I think I think about my grandparents' uh, generation and even to a large extent my parents, who my, both my parents were born in the mid to late 50s, pretty much the same thing there, man, you know? But th there's been a real disconnect or just we've I feel like we've lost our way from that in a lot of ways and so I read through that tweet that you kind of you either responded or you it was a subtweet or something you can elaborate more on it but I, I did I did read through the whole thing and there was some some good points were made in there you know yeah so basically what I try to lay out when I initially started my podcast and I'll tie this all in here in a minute um I kind of said I wanted to make better libertarians but then I realized that that's a little bit of a grandiose goal that perhaps isn't fully obtainable so Maybe the goal should be to put the information out there so people can make themselves better. Um, and I feel like I've done a job on that. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a good job, but I definitely try to dig up as much science and information as I can to put it out there for people to read and digest just so that way they can make the best decisions moving forward generally when it comes to health stuff. So um, when it comes to intersexual dynamics, this has been something that I've kind of observed throughout my entire life. So my grandfather was... Um, he was divorced three times and my father has five kids to three different moms. And I love my dad dearly. My mom and dad split up when I was five years old. So, um, I, I it wasn't like an ugly split. There was no divorce. They were never married, but, um, it, it, you know, obviously the situation could have been better, but, um, I remember growing up, it always kind of seemed like public schools didn't like boys. Right. And I've heard some of the guys in this, the red pill dating space, right? The manosphere. Is the manosphere, like your MIG, right. MIG, MIGTOW of the world, men going their um, own way. Not, not even that strip Wahhabist. You're just saying manosphere yeah, in general. The, the, the manosphere is a pretty wide swath of men. And right. I think there's a, a lot to be learned from them. But um, what uh, one of the guys, and he's one of my favorite authors, his name's Rolo Tomasi, and I can't recommend people listen to him enough. Um, he really talks about this stuff a lot, but essentially what they do in schools, they teach boys like defective girls. And I felt like I got that treatment a lot growing up. So that's why kind of a lot of his writings and a lot of the stuff that he talks about resonated with me. So as I grew up, I kind of saw how this stuff played out. So um, intersexual dynamics and gender relationships have always kind of fascinated me and the science behind it and also kind of understanding the way that we interact with each other, I felt was very, very important. And it seems like in 2022, um, there's a lot of what I would call social conventions surrounding women that are supposed to make them feel good. Right. Where, and this isn't to say that women are coddled and that they don't have their own struggles, but, um, you know, you look at divorce court, what happens? A majority of alimony settlements go to women. Oh, um, everybody says, right. For men. It, it's, they're always fatherless homes. Um, and what people actually don't know, or at least I never really hear people talk about, a majority of all mass shootings were from people who were raised in single mother homes. So, and, and this isn't to say that single mothers are bad for just being single mothers, but um, clearly it's an issue because children need both parents. So as somebody who kind of came from a single mother household, I feel like it's my duty to kind of show that, you know, look, I'm successful and I hope other people can be as well. But um, it's very important that I think men mostly kind of stay read up on kind of the game as it is now, because it's not the 50s anymore, right? Incentives for men and women are completely different than they used to be. And especially in this housing market with the way interest rates are, the economy, um, you have a lot of different decisions to make when it comes to finding a partner. And women and men have such, you know, readily available access to different people. And it's so easy to meet people now that um you really have to vet your partners so um when it comes mm. to dating and stuff like that i just i really recommend people take it slow and um you know just get to know somebody before you go sleeping yeah. with them and knock them up because what it's not fair to a child to be born to a world where they're not going to have both parents there so um you know as a guy who's been with his fiance now for going on four years in a month um we're getting married in november um I'm hoping that I kind of thank you. I'm hoping I can kind of correct the course of uh, my family, and then I Ooh. hope that I could be an example for other people as well. And there are plenty of other people in the living sphere who are similar, who who are in a similar situation as me. But um, I, I just think 
you know, life is a lot better when you have two heads and, um, you know, we should all want to raise big, beautiful families kind of like they used to do, but you know, you just kind of have to understand going forward, things are a little bit different than they used to be. So that's kind of a lot, but yeah, absolutely, man. You you hit on a lot of great points there. And I think the problem is a lot of people don't realize how serious it is to bring a child into this world. Mm -hmm. Uh, not only the implications of it, you know, that it's going to have an impact on your life, your partner's life, that child's life, but just how much it costs, you know, it costs to take care of a child and feed the thing and diapers and have a house and have a stable environment. So I do think a lot of people, you know, uh, of course, there's going to be unplanned pregnancy, man, that's just reality. You know, that's the reality of our world. Uh, you would like to not see it, but, um, you know, as someone who I was born into, my parents were married, they had a, you know, owned a nice condo in a suburb of Boston, uh, mid eighties. Um, you know, there was some planning going on. You know, my dad had a good job and ran his own business and uh, my mom stayed home with us and everything was, you know, I guess you could call it nuclear. Mm -hmm. It was an American nuclear, you know, my parents both born in the mid fifties. My brother and I were born in the, you know, the 1986 and um, I feel like I had a leg up on so many people because Mm -hmm. I, I had a stable home. I had both my parents. They knew what was expected of one another. They, they, Dane and Dale knew what, what their, their roles were, what they had to do to make sure things like operated smoothly. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad went out and battled it out and ran his own business and made the money and, and you know, took care of the cars, took care of the home repair, you know, all that kind of stuff. My mom cooked and cleaned and did laundry and, uh, you know, made sure that we went to school and, and all that into business. And I, you know, I think I, my, my brother and sister and I turned out pretty well mm-hmm. and I'll always be really appreciative that, that I had that. And, and I understand that so many people don't have that. So mm-hmm. um, it is a real serious thing. And, yeah. you know, I just, I just feel like culture has played a big role in this yeah. in detracting from how serious it is to, to create a child and bring a child into this world. And that if you don't have certain things in place, you don't have your act together and shit lined up, man, it's going to be a really hard time for you and for that child. Yeah, absolutely. And I really do think it is a cultural thing. So kind of um, when I brought up social conventions earlier, what do you hear? Um, once again, they're fatherless homes or, you know, you go girl, you don't need no man. Um, mm. You hear a lot of stuff like that. And really, it shouldn't be that a woman needs a man, but clearly when you look at um, the way people's brains develop and the way that uh, um, men and women kind of interact and the way that they're skilled in different ways, from what I understand, um, men's and women's brains actually kind of serve different purposes when it comes to raising children, right? So like, if you look at the way that our brains will light up when we're interacting with children, um, it's like almost a perfect match, right? Where women and men are very complementary to one another. So um, to, to your point, it, it is very serious that you're bringing a life into this world. And when you have a kid, it's no longer about, you know, the husband and the wife. It is about the kid because as, you know, a parent, it should be your obligation to raise a very responsible and autonomous individual who's going to go out into the world and at least do his damnedest to make it a better place or to make him a stable and you know suitable individual to be just a good citizen to, you know, for their family, their community and um, so on. So um, I just wish we could kind of get back to the traditional days. And I don't think there's any going back. There's only going to be going forward. So part of that is going to have to be men kind of making themselves into better men. But the other issue of this is, is that the state also takes a lot of the authority away from men when it comes to family court. And what basically people want men to do is to man up when they've been told to man down for the last, you know, 70 years so you have this expectation that men will just keep taking more and more responsibility and that's ultimately going to make them happy but they don't have any of the authority in the relationship because if a woman leaves and they take the kids with them then guess what he's getting drugged behind the truck and it only stops when she says it stops so the cultural shift needs to be that we respect masculine authority and traditional gender roles and it doesn't have to be so black or white And we got a little, little more turbulence from Kyle when it was just getting good. It was just getting juicy. Uh, if you guys can, I think you can probably but, um, hear me now. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. So you were saying, um, 
you said a term there. What, what was it uh, for men? Um, oh, they want men to man up and but they but man, call them man down. Man down. So what what is the meaning of man down? What are examples of that? Well, quit being so masculine. Oh, um, toxic masculinity. Um, and then obviously over the last 20 years, all the kind of woke stuff where um, you know, you're a racist, sexist, homophobic, white, straight male, okay. and um, all the slagging. Right. And we essentially took away the incentives for men to be men, right? Um, we're well, we want to start to do a family and have children. Yeah. And once again, it's basically we've given men all the responsibility, but none of the authority. And the tweet that I put out said that responsibility without authority is essentially slavery because you have no decision in anything that's going on within the house, but you're expected to bring all the money home. You're expected to do all the work. So mm. what's in it for men? You get, to pay, you get to pay for some stupid trip to Disney. Right. You get to deal with my in-laws who hate you because I hate you. <laughs> yeah. So what the hell's in it for men? Yeah. Why should you man up and take responsibility if there's literally no benefit for it? Now, um, personally for me, and this is just me, um, I'm very blessed to have my fiance because her and I get along very, very well. And, you know, we, we took things slow. Like I said, we've been together for four years. I didn't propose to her until we were together for almost three years. So um, I vetted her very well. Clearly, she vetted me very well. And we agreed that you guys live together. We mm -hmm. We've lived together for about three years now. And, um, yeah, it's it's been very very good. We got three dogs together. We got a wonderful house, four cars. So we yeah. have a good life. If you want to go down that path, live with that person and struggle with them and go through some shit and uh, get to know their family because you're marrying the family too. And yep. this this is something a lot of people forget. Like you you know, family's baked in, man. They're part of the deal. So if their family sucks or if there's friction or if they don't like you or you know. If you don't have any of that ironed out or at least that like an understanding before you get married, man, that, that's already some serious turbulence, mm -hmm. you know, and, it, and it's uh, it's cliche, man. But, you know, so many people that just can't stand their in-laws mm -hmm. and there's a, there's a reason the word law is part of that equation. My in-laws, you know, <laughs> we all fucking hate the law, Kyle, you know, mm -hmm. but I mean, yeah, you, you know, and then you got like online. So how did you meet your fiance? So this is actually one of my fa uh, favorite stories to tell. I don't think I've ever told on any podcast, but uh, <laughs> so we actually matched on two different dating apps. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, one of her friends that she had worked with said, Oh, he's, he's really, you know, I, I like this guy. You should go talk to him. And she blew me off both times. So I didn't get her number. And if this was any other guy telling me this, I would tell him, don't do this. But um, <laughs> so she she basically blew me off for the first um, two dating apps, and then my old cover band called Ezekiel. We played this um, a benefit superheroes believe in miracles. I think the it's one of these posters on the wall over here. Um, mm -hmm. You can't see it unfortunately, but uh, so we played, and I remember seeing her. I'm like, you know, she looks really familiar. So uh, I, I kind of like scout around the room, and I was pounding Crown Royal. So when I you get were, drunk, you were crowned. You were what we call crown informed. Yeah, 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 yeah. I my my go to is a double crown on the rocks normally, or a margarita, or a white cloth. You, you, there, were, common, no... you were common crown law, common law, <laughs> common crown informed. <laughs> yeah, uh, my buddies say I um that I put the crown in the common crown. Mm -hmm. So, uh, um, so I remember my drummer now, and he wasn't my drummer then. Um, he and the one tech that we have that helps us load stuff in and out. Um. They were talking to her and her friend, so I kind of wanted to get a read on things. So I go up and I look and I say, hey, you know, what's up to Matt? And I kind of look at her. I'm like, oh, yeah, so that is who I think it is. So we played and I am just trashed off my ass. So I went up to her friend. And I said, hey, your friend is really, really attractive. And she's like, oh, my God, go talk to her. So um, I went up to her and I said, hey, I think I know you. I think you blew me off on a couple dating apps I, when I asked for your number. And then she's like, well, do you want my number? I said, yeah, of course. That's why I came up to you. So uh, we uh, we we exchanged numbers. We kissed that night, and then uh, you know the rest is kind of history. So um, wow. it sounds like a pretty ridiculous story, but um, you know that's kind of how we met. So we I, you could maybe say we met online, but we did meet in person. And um, you know, I I absolutely love that story. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. See, I'm like definitely afraid of creating an like without irony, creating an online dating profile. And going on one of these dating apps and trying to dig something out on there, you know, uh, I don't know. The thought of it frightens me. And I, I think meeting to try to meet people 
I think the best way is through others that you know, mm -hmm. through referral, because at least there's a little bit of vetting going on, you know, because your friends can't lie about the fact that your profile picture is 16 years old from what you yeah. look like now, you know? <laughs> yeah, there is there is quite a bit of that where um, you kind of don't know what you're getting into. And I, I can't say when I was doing online dating, there um, there were quite a few incidents where uh, it's like, all right, well, I'll just drink up. And then, you know, whenever we're done, we're rocking and rolling and uh, we're, just, we're just going home. That's it. Um, and that's not to say that all were bad. And one of my ex-girlfriends who um, the relationship, it didn't end bad, but I, I just... I should have cut it off sooner and it was a fault of my own that I didn't kind of recognize the uh, patterns and the situation for what it was. But um, we met online and like I said, there, there's not necessarily any animosity, but uh, yeah, obviously I moved on from that situation. So there's benefits, there's ups and downs, but um, it, it is a little bit harder to vet people when it comes to dating online. So you just got to kind of grind it out. But um, yeah, I would definitely recommend people if you, you are looking for somebody to kind of meet and talk to, Honestly, kind of cold approaching sucks, but it is a good way to kind of just get used to talking to people and to kind of getting out in the environment. And it, it it's hard for me. And I mean, I used to be, I didn't look quite, um, I don't want to say it's good, but, um, you know, I was a little bit on the heavier side at one point and I lost about 70 pounds since I met my fiance. But, um, you know, for me, I always had kind of body and image issues. So it was a little bit difficult for me to overcome that fear and then just to walk up to people and approach. And it, it was successful quite a few times, but um, it, it does take a little bit of balls. But once you kind of get to it, it it's, gotta, it's really not that bad. You know, some confidence, guy. You got to have the confidence. Yeah, you, you just got to kick yourself in the ass and I build, you know, go for it. I build 90-story skyscrapers. Okay, <laughs> I can bring this six-foot-tall Eastern European Slovakian woman home, no problem. No yeah. problem. Give me yeah. A What's that? Okay, give me a Big Mac and Diet Coke. Give I'll me the Big talking. Mac and the Diet Coke, large fry. Give me the apple pie dessert. Eat it up, please. Definitely eat it up. <laughs> and a McFlurry. Yeah, I mean, I think, too, a lot of people, It's they don't put their – expectations they kind of like hide them or they try to mask them to mold into a version of themselves that they think is appealing to that other person so that they'll like yeah. them so they don't really show their true colors so and then it's too late by the time they they, they show their true colors so we'll talk a little bit about that while i pee again <laughs> but like goes right through me kyle <laughs> um when it comes to expectations and when it comes to dating people um, you don't want to tell the person right off the bat that you're going to, you know, get married and have kids in a couple of years. But um, I think having some kind of way of laying out expectations clearly where you guys can kind of find the common ground and what you can work with um, is very, very important because obviously if you're, you're with somebody who doesn't want kids or doesn't have the same overall values as you, then how can it really work out? So I can speak for my situation where me and my fiance both kind of agreed pretty early on that we wanted to have kids. So that kind of worked out for us in our favor. But when it comes to finding a partner, you should definitely do your best to just once again, take your time, vet this person, make sure that you guys have similar interests, you have similar values, and that this person is going to be someone that you can be with for a long time and actually enjoy being with. And um, kind of to your point, Eric, <laughs> When it comes to marrying and getting in with a family, then yeah, you should like the family, but you should also, once again, just make sure that you guys have common values and common goals. Because if you don't have, you know, if you don't want kids, but she wants kids, then you're three years down the line, yeah. then you just wasted three years. Um, it wasn't communicated. Yeah. It's like, that's kind of a big thing we should have talked about. Right. And I alluded to earlier, my fiance and I had uh, kind of agreed on a lot of stuff before we even... Um, <laughs> You know, before things got as serious as they are now, we both knew we wanted kids, we wanted to be married. Yeah. So um, that, that's that's kind of like the basic foundation. Now, like I said, you, you don't want to just dump this on somebody on the first date, but you no. can kind of find ways around of finding out what your common values are. Yeah, you, you can tell pretty quickly if you're going to click with somebody, if you have the, kind of the same values and you're both looking for the same thing, you know, because a relationship's a partnership. And if one wants kids and the other doesn't want kids, man, that's just friction that's going to be all, you know, be like clouds over the thing the whole time. So I think you just got to be honest with yourself and um, 
be honest with uh, your, your partner or your spouse. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this clip of Gavin McGinnis, but he was on, I think he was on I Fox love News. Gavin McGinnis. He's so fucking funny. So this was this was beyond based. I, I mean, I could believe he said it, but like he was on there with this triggered woman. I don't know if she was a journalist or an author or whatever she was, but man, he got her all bent out of shape. And I think I think it was Hannity. I think he was on Hannity, and he was like, "My wife is so happy at home. She loves being a mother. She loves being a wife. She loves not having to chase down some soul sucking, meaningless uh, career. You know." She likes being a mother. She likes that. She likes the work that's involved with that. And he's like, you would be a lot happier if you did that. Yes, I, I, I know like, exactly what you're talking about. Oh, my God. He just did not give a fuck, dude. Yeah. Well, you know, you know it, there's definitely something to that. And I think one of the biggest lies that we've told women and, and bad advice, we shame stay-at-home moms and we almost shame motherhood to a degree. Yeah, what the fuck? Which I, I, I've never understood that at all because yeah. what is more important than raising the next generation? And I don't care what job you have. I don't think there's really any job that's more important than raising the next generation to be, once again, responsible and autonomous individuals. And it is a job too, man. Boy, boy Absolutely. It, it's a fucking, it's a hard, one of the hardest jobs out there. Yeah, I know as a, uh, you know, middle school asshole that failed a grade. Um, you know, I would have been terrible. I, I was, I was terrible to raise, but you know, ultimately I turned out okay. At least I think, but uh, yeah, th there's you were a terror. You were a real terror. I was, I was, people wouldn't be able to tell me. Yeah. I was an absolute terror. Madovic, the terror. Oh, he's, he's gone sideways again. He'll, he'll come back to us. That's just where I was in. Oh, I hate this turbulence, man. Hey, it's okay. We're, we're dealing with it. It's uh, it's okay. It's okay. But you you were a disaster in middle school growing up, Kyle. Is what you were saying. You were middle school Madovic was a disaster. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, I I couldn't imagine being a mom trying to raise me in middle school. But at the same time, we should kind of encourage women who want to have kids to mm. like this. This is a completely viable thing, and it's very very important that you do this. And if you're going to do it, then you know, bravo, you are raising the next generation of people. That's such an important job. And the big lie is telling women that that's not important, that a career is better than having a family. Because kind of looking back at it, my mom worked 100 hours a week when I was growing up, right? And part of my determination comes largely from my mom from, you know, multiple bouts with cancer and working and keeping a roof over our heads the way she did just by herself. Um, there's it was really impressive, but you know, once again, what if she would have had somebody there with her to kind of help raise my brother and I, um, working like that though, isn't, I don't think it's as meaningful. It's just having a happy family. You know, if, if, if that's, you know, two kids, a minivan, a golden retriever with a white picket fence, um, I see that as a lot more meaningful than working some job where you're wiping ass or fixing cars like I do for a living. Um, I look forward to the day that I could be a father and I know uh, my fiance looks forward to the day that you be a mother. And we're, we're, you know, like I said, we agree on that. And um, I think that's the most important thing that um, anyone's going to do. It's going to bring even more meaning to your life mm -hmm. and, and inspiration and, you know, motivation to keep doing what you're doing. And yeah, the, the, uh, my friends, my peers who are parents, um, it's funny, my, my brother and I just, so my trainer, Megan, has two daughters. One of them's five, one of them's one. And uh, she, they, her and her husband just hosted a pool party for us and a few of our friends we went to high school with. So they all brought their kids. And, you know, I'm I'm bachelor Eric. I'm Uncle Eric. I don't have kids. I don't have a wife. I don't have, have all that. Um, but it's just, you know, it, it's amazing to see the trajectory that these kids are on in their lives. Mm -hmm. And that I knew their parents when we were just young kids in middle school and high school. Um, and really just the number one priority and the absolute joy uh, of their lives is, is taking care of these children and raising them and, you know, loving them and supporting them and, you know, harnessing all their energy and efforts and, and putting them in, investing into the future of these kids. And I think it's beautiful, man. I think it's really, really one of the most beautiful and natural um, and amazing things. And I'm so in awe of all of my friends who have children because I know I it's just it's so it's the dedication and the man hours and uh you know I, I don't take for granted my my bachelor lifestyle 
And, you know, I like being single. Like right now at this moment, man, I'm going to be 36 in October. I don't really have a desire to have a wife and kids. I'm just, I'm honest about it. I don't really want children. And like I said to you earlier, man, I understand how serious it is and, and how life-changing it is to bring a child into this world and how much it costs and what goes into it. So I'm, at, I'm first honest with myself about that. Mm-hmm. And, and I get that. And, and there's, you know, there's plenty of humans in the world. So the people who want to have kids and they want to do that and go down that path, I support them and I laud them and, and I, I build, I raise them up and I give, I give all the tribute in the world to them, you know? Yeah. Um, I completely agree with that sentiment where it is truly beautiful when you see people just building families and knowing that this is going to be a, another individual brought into the world who could potentially make the world a better place. Um, and you, that's so much more important than the political stuff. That's so much more important than the culture war stuff. And every time I see somebody in this whole Liberty sphere, if you will, um, talking about, you know, the fact that they're having kids or whatever, um, it just excites the living shit out of me because I'm like, you know, this is the meaning that everybody is looking or that these people are looking for. And, you know, just, I, I hope they do a knockout knockout job and I just, you know, couldn't give them any more love and support. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. And then, you know, you see, you know, the parents of these kids. So you see the traits that they have from each parent and like the per- parts of their personality and their behavior and, the, and their looks and their appearance. Like, you know, I might not see uh, my buddy's kids for a year or a couple of years, but then I see him. It's like, Jesus, God, you're looking more and more like your old man every day who I was running around with in high school 20 years ago. You know, and it's uh, it's awesome, man. It's really it's a cool, cool thing to see. And I like I like being uh, being an uncle figure to them, you know, and just being uh, being fun. And, the you know, the, the Chris Farley, Jack Black uncle, you know, who's just yeah. There. Pretty carefree and easy going. Yeah, no, I definitely feel that because uh, my fiance's sisters um, have kids, and uh, they they kind of look to me as that figure. And they, there's definitely something to it. And it's really cool to kind of like realize that they recognize you consistently. Because like at first I was like, yeah. this is weird that they like know who I am, but then you know they start getting excited to see me. Hey, back ride. Hey, I want to wrestle. I want to do this. Exactly. Um, it, it's just really cool to see them start to recognize and develop as people. Well, that and you think back to when you were a kid. So I'm I'm really lucky. My uh, my dad has five brothers who are all still alive. So I grew up with five uncles who were all part of my life, and were just amazing and supportive and, and generous and and fun. And they those are the people. Those figures they have the biggest influence on you from day one. So you know you got to keep that in mind. Um, you know, if you're going to be an uncle or you're going to, you know, there's, there's kids around, you got to remember that they're looking up to you. Mm-hmm. They're looking to you, you know, and they're watching what you're doing. They're hearing what you're saying and they are sponges, man. They, <laughs> they hear it and they'll repeat it. So it's mm-hmm. uh, it's an awesome responsibility. And, and I just, I can't say enough about, about people who do it. And uh, you know, I give all the praise to them. So I really, I feel like, going back to or at least cheering for a culture that enforces that and reinforces that and celebrates that i want to be part of that yeah and i think i did a whole podcast i want to say it was episode 72 maybe um on social conservatism trust and economics and uh, this is something that i push for a lot too and it's not to say that it's gos or guidelines it or gospel it's just hey this is recommendations this is how i think the uh, best path forward to liberty is when you have these tight knit communities and small families where people don't, you know, they know their neighbors, the kids are really good, you know, really tight with the grandparents and the families, you know, all spend time together. There's, there's something beautiful about that. So um, I think if we get back to a culture, like you said, that um, socially enforces kind of monogamy and nuclear families, that's definitely way better than just going down this path of, Oh, you go girl. And, you know, useless dads or whatever. Uh, yeah, you, you don't need no man. <laughs> that bullshit. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's a bunch of bullshit, Kyle. I have no problem saying it. And you mentioned, you know, a father being an authority figure and a strong figure. Yeah, the father is a, an authority figure. Mm-hmm. That's 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 the guy that's going to set you right and teach you right from wrong. Mm-hmm. And when you do fuck up, man, he's going to let you know about it. And, yeah. and, you know, we need that. You need that, man. Otherwise, it's just it's, it's, it's hard. It's a, it's a tough thing. So 
again, I know not everybody was as lucky as I was to have a mother and a father, but you mentioned the fucking uh, mass shooters. You know, how many of them had a stable mom and dad at home looking yeah, out for them, all. setting them right, showing them the right way? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, the one um, author I listened to quite a bit, his name's uh, Warren Farrell, and he's uh, been interviewed by Jordan Peterson a couple of times. Um, he does a lot of work when it comes to, um, you know, divorce court and also kind of raising boys and obviously girls as well. Um, he wrote a book called The Boy Crisis. He has a bunch of other books, too. But uh, his work's really, really fascinating. And he kind of dives into the parental psychology and, you know, raising children. So. Mothers are obviously kind of, as we were talking about earlier, a little bit more nurturing. And fathers, when they rough and tumble play, as silly as this sounds, that's actually them teaching children kind of the boundaries of their own boundaries. body and how to trust and how to be, you know, friendly with people. That's taking them so many different social dynamics that's actually hugely important. So when you don't have a father, a mother may be able to try to step into those roles. But once again, a mother could not do the same roles that a father could do the same way a father could not do the roles that a mother can do. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And, and not only does it, you know, show the boundaries and enforce the boundaries, it also shows, you know, power and strength. Mm -hmm. That is difference between the sexes. You have to that's got to be regulated, man. You got to you got to know how to regulate that and where to apply that, where not to apply that, you know, uh, where you have to be a threat where you won't be a threat, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, young young children need that. They need that to really help mold them into something that's going to be a well-adjusted, human, full human being. Right. And it's um, somebody that I used to listen to a lot, Larry Elder, although he's a neocon and pretty. He's kind of based on some things, though. His, his uh, What is it? The robe? He wears the robe and has the coffee? The robe gang? Oh, no. I, I'm not familiar with that. I think sometimes uh, Larry he Elder. him in the morning wearing a robe and says, hello, my robe gang or something. But no, Elder, I mean, yeah, no, he's, yeah, I mean, probably foreign policy. I've never heard his foreign policy, but I would imagine it's probably dog shit. Yeah. Like Ben Shapiro and all those other Daily uh, Wire neocon type yeah. people. But he's based on some things. Yeah, he's, uh, he actually wrote a book called, uh, I think it was called A Lot Like Me. And it was a book about uh, basically his life and his situation with his father and uh it's completely apolitical but um that was one of the books i've read that i just could not put down it's a relatively short book you could probably read it in like a week or two if you're a slow reader like me or don't have a lot of time to read but um it, it um it was really interesting and it was very very emotional but uh i completely forgot the point i was making there but yeah i, I like larry well, elder but just like the foreign policy stuff anyway. yeah you know yeah just the the how to how a, a mom a mom and a dad can help create a you know a mold a more full person that has the love and the support and the dynamics that a mother and father can bring. Um, yeah. So, yeah, hey man, you know I'm not really a religious person. I, you know I don't do I don't go to church. I don't do that. But my buddy and I, my buddy who's also not religious, who's also like me, he's he just turned 35. I'm going to be 36. We went we grew up together since sixth grade. We always joke. We're like, dude, if we're just going to finally buckle down and decide to do it, we, we have to go to a church. we got to go to a church to uh, to find a woman, to find wife material or something along those lines. You know, someone who, who uh, values that kind of culture. And, and, and a lot of relig religious people do. And I look at some of the religious families I know who I grew up with, and, and they're awesome, dude. They're awesome. I mean, you know, aside yeah. from having to go sit in some fucking church – every Sunday and play along with that. And you got, I do this. I believe in God, you know, it's, there, there's a lot of great things about it. Yeah. So I'm not religious either. I've always considered myself agnostic, but um, when it comes to the culture surrounding religion, um, it, it does produce a lot of great people. Um, you know, a lot of my friends, a lot of my coworkers are religious and they seem to be really, really fixated on that. And um, you know, it does seem like there's kind of a, a pretty decent size of the liberty movement that's kind of leaning towards orthodox Christianity. And I, I, I gotta say, I see the appeal and there's a lot of good people leaning towards that. There's, there's definitely an allure, Kyle. There's definitely an allure. Yeah. And I don't know if 
I'll ever necessarily dive into that. My fiance is, um, I don't want to say like a hardcore religious, but she believes in God. Um, I just, once again, consider myself agnostic. I would say I'm probably agnostic theist where I don't know, but if I had to guess one way or the other, I'd probably say there is at this point for me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm fine admitting I don't know. I don't have the answer. I was, I was more militant atheist uh, in like end of high school into my 20s. But then I realized I'm an asshole. That's a cult. That's a religion of its own. Absolutely. It's very off-putting. There's nothing more. I mean, okay, maybe you're a hardcore evangelical Christian, but what's more off-putting than a, you know, so sure of himself atheist that there is no God and that I'm right and my system is right and there is no system, but I have a system. It's stupid. Right. Um, and then you, you know, you end up worshiping, worshiping books, you know, uh, Richard Dawkins books becomes your Bible. Uh, Sam Harris's books become your Bible. So you're no different than the religious people who you are, you know, claiming that are stupid and have it wrong. So mm. I've mellowed out big time on organized religion and on people who live that way. And I can see the appeal to it. And there's, there's definitely an allure to a lot of it. You know, there's no, there's no perfect answer, but it really just depends what you want out of life, man, and what you want to do and what path you want to go down. But Kyle, you're, you're going down a great path. And, uh, you know, you do great work. You're a talented dude. I love your stuff on Twitter, and I love I love what you do. So, uh, tell the people how they can support you and follow you, and what do you have coming up, man? Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you having me on, Eric. Um, so, my band will be opening for the canceled <laughs> Tommy Vexed, formerly of uh, Bad Wolves, uh, next month. Uh, I believe it is September seventh. Uh, it's Tuesday at um, Jurgles in Warrendale, Pennsylvania. Uh, we got tickets for that. That'll be the band A Common Crown is a band I play in. Uh, opening will be Blood Union. Uh, I can't remember who's on after us. And then Tommy Vex with the Lone Wolves. Um, really, really cool um, show and really, really cool venue. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, once again, you can check out my band A Common Crown. If you go to commoncrown.com, you'll find us pretty much everywhere music is. Uh, I run the podcast in Liberty and Health, where we talk all things politics, um, pretty much anything. I even go into automotive stuff if we're here and there, um, just because it's you know part of my life. And I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about on my podcast. Fuck but yeah, I, yeah. You're, you're an expert, baby. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, in Liberty and Health, all podcatchers uh, on YouTube as well. And um, yeah, if anyone has any questions about nutrition, health, um, you know, libertarian stuff, or they just want to shoot the shit, um, you know, you know where to find me, K Matovic on Twitter. And that's K-M-A-T-O-V-C-I-K because uh, my last name is a little bit goofy. But uh, yeah, that's where I'll be at. And um, like I said, if anybody wants to uh, check it out, I'd appreciate it. And, uh, you know, feel free to follow, like, um, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely, everybody. All, all my uh, viewers and everybody definitely check out Kyle's stuff, and we'll have him on again. He's a cool guy. Does a lot of a lot of interesting stuff, and it's a nice fusion of the arts, of wellness, of politics, of liberty. Because we can't get too hung up on just one thing. We have to we have to have some variety. Variety is the spice of life. And uh, I will be doing some squats in your honor tomorrow, Kyle. I'm hitting the gym tomorrow with my trainer, Megan, and we're going to, we're either going to do bench or maybe Romanian deadlifts. I don't know. It's going to be something. It's going to be squats. There's going to be some heavy ass weight. There's going to be the bar. We're going to throw some iron around, probably listen to Backstreet Boys. You know, Beautiful. I called no homo on it a long time ago. So no problem there. And then we'll probably jump in the pool afterwards. She's got a pool in her backyard. So work out for an hour and uh, jump in the pool, but I'm always inspired by what you post, man. And, uh, you keep doing your thing and doing what you're doing and everyone check out Kyle's stuff. He uh, puts out great content and uh, he's worth the follow. So folks, thanks for tuning in to Jackman radio. You know where to find us. If you haven't subscribed, hit that subscribe button on here. And if you like what we do and you want to support this channel and help us continue to grow, go to patreoncom slash Jackman radio, become a five, $10 a month patron. Uh, if you want to send me a tip, Patreon's not your thing. If you got Venmo, Hit me up on Venmo, Senator Jackman 86. Uh, you know, keep it to a certain level because we don't want the IRS to know about it. They're hiring a lot of those cocksucking IRS agents. Another 80,000 of them, I think, according to Brandon. 87. 87,000. What a nightmare. But uh, thanks for tuning in, folks. You have a good night, and we will catch you next time.